Welcome listeners to episode 15 of the Run and Go podcast, where I aim to provide informative content and interviews with elite athletes from around the world. Like in today's episode, where I'm chatting to a runner out of Tassie, who through years of hard work and belief, picked up an Aussie Marathon singlet for the World Athletic Championships held in London back in August of 2017. His running journey was put on pause shortly afterwards, and has been maintaining his fitness and sanity by pursuing another sporting interest at an elite level. Welcome to the show, Josh Harris. Thanks for having me, mate. Uh, good to talk to you, mate. Thanks for taking time out. Yeah, no worries. Now, I'm going to leave that other sporting interest hanging out there for a while, Josh, uh, for the listeners who, are, who aren't aware of what you've sort of been up to, as I'd sort yep. of like uh, to build the discussion into why that eventuated. Yeah, sure. But if we can sort of begin with uh, when, your, um, when your running interest began. Yeah, no worries. So I began running in the year 2000, so I was 10 years old. Uh, I went down to Little Athletics one afternoon and I loved it instantly. Uh, I can remember uh, even a few weeks after that, just, you know, I was all in and loved the statistics and beating my best times and that kind of grew from there. And uh, I had that passion for running all the way through and uh, until I made the World Championships team, which um, was a massive goal of mine and something that I could only dream about when I started 17 years beforehand. Yeah, yeah, I bet, mate, I bet. Um, and we'll sort of go further into that. Now, um, I'll yep. sort of um, <clears throat> run through your PBs just to get the listeners up to scratch. Um, and if you can sort yep. of uh, let us know anything um, of note that you can recall about, about those events, mate. Um, yeah, sure. So let's go back to uh, to Jan 2010, where you ran a uh, 154.82 down there in Launceston for 800 metres. Yeah, I like I like that you brought one, that one up, mate, because I reckon it's probably the one that I'm proudest of, to be honest, Excellent. and one that I think that I pretty much got everything out of myself in. So ran a 154 for the 800, uh, dead even 57 second lap splits. Whenever I went through faster than that, I couldn't hang on. Uh, and yeah, just came together this one day and, um, I beat some pretty good runners and, uh, ran a three second PB and I, I kind of knew that, well, I, I kind of thought that that would be it that day and it, it has been, um, the 1500 meters I've ran 351, uh, that race was, uh, a negative split race where I closed the last 800, um, a bit under two minutes uh, to win the race, so... Okay, yeah, I, I've got that, yeah, I, that was in Lawney as well in March 2013, yep. yeah. Yeah, that's that's right, uh, I wasn't really training for the 1500 at that point, but, mm. um, you know, that's my PB, but I, I think uh, based off some of the other times, especially the 800, you know, I might have had a few seconds extra there, but that is what it is. Yeah, yeah, so did you sort of find when you first started running that you had sort of some ability with a speed there, or...? Yeah, yeah. Um, at Little Athletics, you focus on like the 800 and 1500 and that that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, when I when I started running, um, you know, like under 16s, I found the steeplechase. So that was probably what I focused on for a few years in the middle there. Um, but at that point, I was more of like a, a 1500 slash steeplechase guy. Uh, and then as I got older, it kind of the distances progressed out a bit. Yeah, okay. Seems to be, um, yeah, a progression a lot a lot of distance runners end up doing. Um, so we've got yep. your 3,000 metres there at 8.14.38 um, up there in Brizzy, yeah. Brizzy in March 2015. Yeah, so that was the, the national championships, and I actually um, got bronze there, which I was pretty stoked about. It came after a 
a really rough patch where um, I, my weight blew out a little bit. I couldn't run for a few months, um, probably the longest at that time that I'd been out of running. And I turned it around within the space of eight weeks. I went from 8.55 down to bronze at national. So I was pretty proud of that build-up. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a huge jump, 8.55 to 8.14. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, obviously, I'd ran quicker, um, like, 8.17 or yeah. something like that in the past, but, yeah. Um, yeah. like, I got into shape really quickly and was, was stoked with that one. Yeah, okay. And, yeah, I, I see the steeplechase there. Um, I sort of read up you'd sort of um, specialised in the steeplechase there for a while. So the 3,000 metre, 904.69 down there in Albert Park in April 2014. Yeah, did the did the nationals there one year after a bit of a hiatus from the steeplechase and and ran that one. Um, I found the the transition from the two thousand up to the three thousand quite difficult. Um, I don't think I was once the barriers got to the the men's height. I don't think I was was a natural, and so that extra distance kind of I found that that quite challenging. And so like I. I won the nationals in the you know the under 18s I think it was over the 2k, uh, but then after trying to and failing to make the world youth champs, I started to focus on the flat. Okay, okay. Um, then we're up to the 5,000 meter PB 14.17.55 down there in Hobart, Feb 2016. Yeah, that was at the at the Briggs meet. Um, bit of a sit and wait kind of race that one was i um i was in really good shape and I, I think i think there was a bit more to take off there but um just kind of sat in with with a group of similar athletes and um ran a pretty fast last 400 from memory okay yep um zadapec 2016 um snuck under that sub 30 in a 29 yeah, that was a long time coming, and I was really glad that that I finally ticked off that sub thirty. Um, I'm sure there are a few people out there that remember um, how windy it was in Melbourne that night. Okay. Uh, I was lucky enough that I had a good sit on um, Toby Rayner, I think it was, for most of the race, and uh, I got the sub thirty. Uh, and yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to to run another ten k on the track after that, actually. Okay, okay. Now, something that's sort of interesting here, um, and there might be some other track uh, distances you did, such as the 20 and 25, but I've got the 30,000 30, uh, metres here, um, and I think that was a national record. I don't know if it still is. Uh, yep. 136.39 that you did down there um, in Hobart in July 2016. Yep. Right yeah, I was, uh, I was always about trying to take, take my opportunities and... Um, you know, getting some some achievements and things like that, and you know, I saw the record books had a, a little bit of a, a weaker one there with the thirty thousand meters compared to obviously some of the the amazing records um, that that we have, uh, and I thought it might fit in quite well with with the marathon preparation that I was doing. So, yeah, my club, uh, Utah's Athletic Club, set up a thirty k race on the track, and um, that was mentally very challenging. Mm. Yeah, I sort of, uh, I like my maths, um, so I was sort of breaking it down, and um, yeah, so average uh, 32 minutes for the, for the 10Ks, uh, 3, yep. 3.13 average, um, running 75 laps at an average of 77 seconds, um, yeah. which is 2.16 marathon pace, so 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's moving, and that would have did that sort of give you some confidence about. Did you sort of reassess what you could actually do for the marathon once you did that hit out? Uh, I, I honestly, I think I can run thirty kilometers a little bit faster. Mm. I um, I don't know if it's because of the track, but I actually had some left leg um, issues in that race. So um, I tried to break a few records en route in that. So I, I had to go through. I think it was a little bit quicker than 32 minutes out, and uh, because I had some of these left leg issues, I, uh, I started to find it challenging. And in the end, um, I think it was more of a mental battle because my 21st and 22nd kilometres were slow. Uh, and then I got back on track when I sensed that I could do the 25 kilometre record. And then again, I kind of put the towel up a little bit uh mentally and my 26th and 27th kilometers were also quite poor but then i did the maths and worked out what i needed for the 30k record and physically i kind of came good again so i think there was probably a little bit a little bit physically um extra over 30k i could have done but you know that was a mentally really demanding event and um certainly certainly mentally prepared me for a marathon that's for sure sure so you're actually out there on your own you didn't have anyone pacing or helping you out and joining in to keep your company or i had a couple of guys take me through six and 11k uh and then the last 19k i was yeah out on my own uh fighting the mental demons yeah okay yeah right here right here all right, let's go to your next PB, uh, moving to the road now, 10K. So, yep. again, just, yeah, got under 30 there, 29.47 down there in Launceston, June 2017. Yeah, had a good battle that day with a couple of guys. I think Benny St. Lawrence was there, Matt Hudson. Uh, we ran in a pack uh, most of the way and came down to a bit of a sprint finish, and I think there were four or five of us within four or five seconds. And, yeah, managed that one, which was good to get on under 30 on the roads as well which was in the lead up world champs yep for sure for sure and then um half marathon now i um i went back listened to a a podcast you would have remembered doing with brad beer the physical performance show um that was june 2017 so so you recorded that and that was just before going into this um half marathon up there on the gold coast and now you Mm -hmm. uh you stated that you'd like to crack uh Sub 65 and you ran 64.55, mate. So you, was that a sprint in the last 100 to get under the 65? And, and how did that race go? Yeah. yeah, it was actually. I um, I went out quite hard. I think I said in that podcast that I wanted to have a bit more of a crack and just relax and not worry about times, and I did that. We, I think we were sub 15 minutes for the first 5Ks, and then uh, in the probably – the second half of the race we, we gradually slowed down a bit i was with uh nick earl and jack cole Reavy, and when i was sitting in i remember feeling quite relaxed and comfortable but as soon as i hit the front i was still going that same pace so there, there wasn't really much i could do to to lift the tempo there and i thought that the 65 minutes might just slip away but uh with a with a big last 500 meters i managed to um, pull it back in and get under 65, which I was pretty happy with because that PB had stood for for a while at that point. And I've always always loved the Gold Coast race, and it, as I think I've said a few times, it was definitely one of my favourites. Yep, yep, for sure. And then um, what have we got? July. So okay, so earlier that year, over in Lake Biwa, you ran a 217.08. Yeah, in March 2017. Yep. Now, I'll sort of um, get you to chat further about that race um, soon. Um, yep. 
But uh, let's let's head back a year to 2016. You ran two, um, I guess, two big city marathons there. Uh, one in Rotterdam. Yep. Uh, you ran 228.17 uh, in April, and then you um, backed up uh, four or five months later, I guess, it'd be in Berlin, and you ran 220.28. Um, yeah, that 22028, um, I assume, was a PB at that time. Uh, I think I ran a second quicker in Fukuoka the year before. Okay, okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I ran a I ran a 220 in Fukuoka uh, in December of 2015. Right. Okay. Excellent. Leading into Rotterdam. Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. So if you can just run us through that Rotterdam race, um, yep. what, what you can really yeah, 22817 in April 2016. Yeah, so went to Rotterdam with the with the hope of trying to qualify for Rio. Uh, you know, it was never never like something that I expected to to do, but it was something that that was a chance given the qualifying time. I think it um, I think it might have been two nineteen the qualifying time, and I had a feeling that Scotty Westcott's time of of two fifteen thirty ish, I think it was, um, would be about what was required to to make the Olympics. Uh, so I went to Rotterdam with all kind of intentions of putting it on the line for that. Uh, and I remember going through 10K feeling fantastic. Uh, by by 20K, uh, I didn't feel fantastic anymore. And then the wheels really started to fall off uh, at about 25. And I remember the last third of that race being probably the, the toughest hour of my life at that point. It wasn't, it wasn't nice. Um, but you know, I, I gave it what I had on the day, and it wasn't wasn't enough, and that that was that was pretty much Rotterdam summed up. Yep, sure, sure. And then Berlin, September, a few months later. Yeah, so reloaded for for Berlin. Uh, I, I went in in pretty good shape in the lead up. I, I did that 30k record that we just spoke about. Um, I went to Adelaide and um, did the marathon for a training run there, which I. Uh, ran fairly well in, and then went to Berlin in in good nick. And uh, again, so the world champs qualifier for that one was at the time it was two hours and nineteen minutes. So went over there, and I, I wanted to be more conservative than Rotterdam, thinking that if I ran under the time, I'd be a good chance of going. Uh, went through right on right on two nineteen pace, and then just didn't quite have it in the final uh, eight or nine k and. You know, that's where I lost that minute, really. Um, okay. Coming from Tassie winter, it was, you know, it wasn't what you'd class as hot, but it, it probably just had a slight effect uh, on me um, compared to what I'd been training in leading up. And, yeah, it was an okay result, but not what I wanted. Yeah, and was there a pack of runners, like, chasing that 219 to run with? Oh, uh, no, it wasn't huge. There, okay. there were times where I was around two or three guys, but... Um, it certainly wasn't something that really kind of pulled you along to a fast time. Okay, okay. Um, all right, let's go to the start of 2017. You um, you uh, took out the Cambridge Marathon down there in Hobart. Um, yeah. Now, I assume um, this is only, uh, what, eight or nine weeks away from BY, so you would have been in a pretty heavy training block at that time when you when you did that race? Yeah, I um. I wanted to really kickstart my preparation because uh, I kind of focused on more track work and 10K work into December, and I wanted to put in a good six or eight mar- a week marathon block leading up. So kind of did Cadbury off no marathon work and used as a bit of a tempo run. Uh, I hoped to pick up a little bit of prize money that would fund my Falls Creek trip straight after. So 
got the job done there, went straight up to Falls Creek for a month, and then um, that training block really set me up well to, to run the time I did in Lake Biwa. Okay, yeah. Are they still offering that $1,000 bonus for someone to break the uh, the time down there, the fastest time around? I think they might be, but I didn't beat the time. I just got the yeah. prize money for first. So, yeah. you know, that was enough um, for me at that point. I didn't really want to try and have a go for that record because it would have been a pretty maximal effort at that point, I think. Sure, sure, yep. Um, now, you've sort of built a reputation on your... Um, on your big volume and consistency of, you know, doing some solid, solid weeks there. Um, what yep. sort of volume were you sort of doing in the months leading into, uh, into that like BY race where you ran your PB and were you um, yep. sort of still finding your way as far as what the body was responding to and sort of able to absorb or did you sort of have a pretty good handle on, on it at that stage? Yeah. So I've always been someone that seems to respond well to, to volume and regardless of the distance, I always seemed to run fast times for all distances when I was running more. Uh, and, you know, I experimented with some of this marathon-specific training that uh, I really found worked for me. Uh, so when I went up to Falls Creek that year, I think I did four weeks that were, you know, apart from the, the initial week after Cadbury, they were all between 230 and 240 kilometres, which I know sounds quite big to, to most people. Um I found a weekly structure that I found really worked for me and that I liked, uh, included a good mix of long runs and, and intensity. So, yeah, I did a few weeks around that 240K mark and then, um, you know, came back down from the mountain and uh, raced a couple of weeks later and ran ran really well, which, um, you know, I found that worked for me yeah, quite certainly. well. You obviously must have responded pretty well to, to the altitude. I mean, that's that's a lot of volume at altitude. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was um, as I said before, I was trying to find the right mix between volume and intensity. Um, mm. and you know, I, I found that you know I personally didn't think that 240 kilometers was you know anything crazy. So mm. it wasn't really anything that really lifted my eyebrows as, as something too much. So yeah. I guess um, was that, was that sort of da- daily double runs and a couple of long runs or? Yeah. So I was. Pretty much running 14 times a week. Um, I'd have two long runs in there, uh, and then I'd have a longer marathon type session, and then a speed work session in there as well. With the rest, just easy runs. Yeah, right. Yeah. What's your um sort of favourite or always go to session when you're in sort of marathon prep? Oh, I'd always like to do something around 90 minutes. Uh, there are a few variations I did. Um, Actually, it's been a while now. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what some of the variations were. But um, I always liked a 90-minute session where I'd average somewhere around that marathon pace, whether mm. it was a straight 90 minutes at, at one pace or, you know, like a, a fartlek where I'd do a certain amount of time just above and then just below. Um, I always tried to get around 90 minutes of about marathon-type effort stuff in. Yep, yep, yep. I, I know one that I read um, a while ago, which I've actually uh, copied, and it's, it's a solid session. I think it's is it Steve Way session. Is that? The oh one? yeah, is this? Yeah, yeah, the the couple of thirty-minute tempos with mm. a with maybe four or five minutes a bit quicker um, in the middle. Yeah, yeah. So he was yeah. So the way you described it was thirty-minute at marathon pace, four by five yep. at half marathon pace, um, with yep. a couple of minute recovery, and then they're trying to get the last thirty-minute at just a bit faster than the first. 30-minute marathon pace. So, yeah, solid, yeah, solid that, session. Uh, 
Yeah, that was a, that was a solid one, and mm. I felt I felt like that had a different stimulus to even some of the the normal ninety minute sessions I did, and I found that last thirty minute I was really um, really a good test after having picked the pace up a bit in the middle there. For sure, it kind yeah. of because obviously 90 minutes is a little shorter than a marathon having done that bit of faster stuff kind of um made it a little bit more like a marathon yep 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 for sure now um i know you've been you've self-coached for a few years now since um since your coach uh sadly passed away a few years back um were you sort Mm -hmm. of getting any advice from any other sort of the more experienced marathon runners about training structure or were you sort of confident in your own knowledge at the time yeah, I was pretty confident in, in the knowledge that I had. Um, I, I did an exercise science degree, not that that particularly means that I'm a qualified expert by any means, but um, I always had a, an interest in in my training and the science behind training and those kinds of things. So um, there was a bit of trial and error. There was a bit of um, you know reading of some other um, people's training that they've done and things like that and just trying to find um, what kind of worked for me and um, yeah I really felt like that um, I trusted myself and and what I was kind of doing uh, that that was the right thing and um, had my best interests at heart whereas I haven't really been able to, to give my full trust to, to someone in that way Um kind of since I was at that level which um kind of I guess that made me um stay self-coached for that period of time yeah 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 I mean you obviously must have been um you know recovering well and were you sort of adjusting and making changes if you felt you weren't on that day and had that flexibility to do that or you yeah yep yeah absolutely I've always been someone that um you know, if just because I had something down didn't necessarily mean, you know, I had to do it. So even though I was running high mileage, I wasn't someone that was chasing high mileage. I just did what I, um, you know, thought was best for me and that just happened to be uh, a lot of mileage. Mm, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, let's um, let's jump forward on speak to like BY where you ran your PB, the 217. Um, yeah. I'll just... Um, I mean, I'll just give the listeners a bit of a brief on Lake Biwa because it's a bit of a historic race over there in Japan. It's um, it's uh, you know, ran annually every year since 1946, so it's been running for a long time. It's a male-only race, and um, if you want to run it, you've got to be able to run a sub 2:30 marathon or a sub 70 half to qualify. So it's, it's a. Uh, would you think it's the biggest, the most prestigious? I know they have some big ones over there, and the Japanese just love their marathon running, don't they? Um, I mean, the sub-230, I'd like to think of how many Japanese actually run under 215. There's just the quality over there is so deep. Um, they might yeah, not have too many 203, 204s, but they've got half the country that can run sub-215, you know. But, um, yeah. Yeah, is, it, is it the most prestigious out of all the Japanese marathons? Um, I don't know if it is, but it's certainly the fact that you've got to run so fast to get in it mm. kind of it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a character kind of for an international to go and do it. Mm. Uh, I, I've ran Fukuoka as well, which is the same same deal. You have to run under 240, I think it is, to run that one. Mm, yeah, I think it's uh, 235, sure. yeah. Yeah, okay. So they just have – I think they're, they're the only two male-only ones that I know of. Yep, yep. Uh, but I'm sure if you go to any of their big ones like Tokyo, for instance, you'd you'd find um, a lot of 
a lot of good depth there and mm. um, they they just love their running and it's so good to race there as an Australian. Yeah, and I believe I believe you get treated extremely well. Absolutely, yep. Yep, yep. So look, um, just out of interest, if if you run a two twenty nine forty two and you're an Aussie, do you do you get in or is there still like a, a like a cap or a waiting list and you still gotta put an entry in and hope you get through or is it automatic qualifier or uh ooh, it's a good question. I think I think you'd be okay if you if you ran under two thirty and you, you wanted to go. I'm not sure whether you'd get the whole um, experience, you know, with all the accommodation looked after and that kind of thing, but you may well. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, so we certainly did, and at the time I was only a 220 guy. Mm. Uh, Is that all? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I still I ran a few minutes quicker there, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, I'll, I'll get you to tell us about that race, mate. And were you sort of hanging out with any other Aussies over there at the time or travel with anyone? Yeah, yeah so uh, Jack Colreavy was over there from Australia, here, and we... We both went over hoping to run the world champ standard of 219. Uh, and, yeah, the the race panned out really well. Uh, the gun went off, and in typical Japanese fashion, there were, you know, people everywhere going out super hard, and I probably found myself back in, like, 100th place, I reckon. Yep. Uh, and then I just wanted to settle into my own rhythm and, Eventually, things started to sort themselves out into a few packs, and uh, I had Jack in my group. I had an Irishman uh, who was, you know, looking for a similar pace to us, and as we kind of settled into the race, we um, were probably on something like 218 pace, I think, and yeah, early on, it was feeling really good. Um, so, um, what sort of, like, were you still playing around with the nutrition? In those days, as far as, you know, um, gels and hydration and all that, and were you, I, I assume that you could have your own drinks out in that sort of standard type race? And yeah, we, I, I we, guess what we I'm getting at is, it, were you fairly confident with, with your nutrition at, at this stage in, in your marathon running? Yeah, yeah, I had a, a bit of a plan in place. You know, I don't know whether it's, um, you know, got the absolute peak performance out of me, but I certainly had a plan that I'd went into the last couple of races with. I'd have a... Um, some water and a gel um, every 10 kilometres, and the the 5k ones between that, I had like an electrolyte mix. Mm, mm. Uh, so that was basically my plan. But I remember that day, um, you know, I might have just had a couple of sips of most of them. I just I felt on top of the ground, and I could tell tell like 25k in that, that I didn't really need it. Um, you know, I, I still had still had probably 100 mil of a lot of these drinks but i certainly didn't finish the full thing i just i knew i was full of running and you know i didn't think it was gonna limit me that day um mm. and and i could just tell yep. and um yeah as going back to your question about the setup the setup's really good in those japanese races they they base it off your bib number so they've got a certain amount of tables um and you can basically um, as you see the tables go by, you know exactly where your drink's going to be because of your bib number. Okay, yeah, excellent. And as far as your, your even pacing went, was it pretty solid there? There was no fading at the end? I mean, 217, you must have felt fantastic all the way to the finish line. Yeah, we went through in just over 69 minutes, so we were on 218 pace. And then off the turnaround, there was a, a pretty solid surge for a few K, um, and pretty quickly it was only myself, Jack and the Irish guy, and we worked together pretty well. Um, 
right through to about 35k we'd, we'd picked up the pace a little bit so by now we were on 217 pace and then as i said i just felt so full of running like mm. the last six or seven k i just kept going on with it um mightn't have really increased the pace too much but certainly wasn't any slowing and mm. um i almost almost got under 217 in the end but um didn't quite get there but you know i didn't fade out at all and i actually felt like i I didn't feel like I could lift the pace at all, but I felt like I could have kept that pace for a few more Ks if I had to. I felt so good. Excellent, yeah. Yeah, we dream of those days, and they're good they come along yeah. sometimes, yep. yeah. How did Jack, did he, he ended up getting under the 219? Yeah, so Jack came through. Um, we were both on the track at the same time. I think I remember celebrating down the finish. I had, had tears in my eyes because I kind of, I thought that that, that was it, that I was going to make the world champs. I was pretty stoked, and um, I think Jack was, just coming through the finish line with 400 to go at that point as well uh, and he obviously had about two minutes for that final lap to to do it so mm. um you kind of knew he was gonna gonna get there even though he was starting to hit the wall a bit so it was really good to have to have both of us there and um you know we both got to end up going to london which was great yeah yeah fantastic so i might get you to um so you, you've both ran the qualifying time um but obviously there's a window that remains open. If you can sort of explain to us um, about that uh, about that wait time and uh, I guess what the other Aussie runners had, had run or were or, or needed to run and um, yep. and then when you received notification of your selection, got that Aussie single. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I think there was like a six or eight week wait period before before we found out. I just um, given the information I'd been given, I was very hopeful. Um, that I'd make it, and I, I knew there weren't too many guys that were still to, to go around to try and um, knock me out of the spot. So we'd been told that Liam Adams and Michael Shelley were focusing on the Commonwealth Games, so that um, took those two out of the equation. And then I, I believe Jeff Hunt might have had a, a quicker time, a 2.16 maybe in there somewhere. Uh so then, um, I th- I'm just trying to think if there was anyone else. Um, oh, Brad Milosevic had a, a time in there as well that was just a little bit quicker than mine. Um, and so, yeah, basically it came down to who was left to run and all those times had been had been done um, just before the window shut. And Unless Michael or Liam decided that they wanted to go last minute, I assumed that I'd, I'd get the spot because of the place I was in uh, behind Jeff and Brad. And then that happened. Um, and then I believe after the Gold Coast, uh, Jeff might have pulled out because he wasn't quite going as well as he wanted to, um, which left the, the three guys as Brad, Jack and myself. Okay. And, and tell us how you received the notification. Yeah, I got a phone call from Athletics Australia and, you know, I was expecting it sometime that week and so I was just really, really nervous to hear whether it would be yes or no because even though you you think that you're, gonna, that you're going to get the positive call, in the back of your mind, you have those negative thoughts like, oh, Liam might have just said, um, yeah, I might give this a shot anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah. So to actually hear those words, it was a, a great feeling and yeah. um, when I first started running you know i'd only dreamed of making a big team like this so to, to finally do it uh, i was just over the moon yeah yeah no for sure mate would have been awesome um 
Lenny wasn't sending you any like uh, nasty messages saying, "Hey, guess where I am? I'm running a marathon this weekend." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, nah, well, he didn't have to do that because he already had the time. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just had to say, "I want to go." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For but, sure. Nah, for sure. He he told me he wasn't going, okay, uh, yeah. but I didn't really have a a close friendship with Michael, so I yeah. think that was the one that just okay. worried me a little bit. Yeah, for sure. All right, mate. Um, so you made the team. You're um. You head over to uh, beautiful St. Roots. Um, now, yep. is that is that part of the um, the marathon uh, team, the running team, the track and field team, or or is that something you did by yourself? Or yeah, so organised to go over there with uh, with Jess Trengo um, or Stenson now. Yep. So uh, just as as part of you know another team member, we were thinking what's best for us um, as marathoners. I know a few people had other plans, but. I wanted to head overseas to give myself the best um, chance possible, especially being in winter in Tassie. would have been um, pretty cold and, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to get out out of there. So after the half marathon PB, jumped on the plane to Europe and um, went and spent a bit of time over in St. Moritz at Altitude for the final preparations. Yep, yep. And then um, something happened that sort of altered the path of your running journey. What, what, what happened, mate? Yeah, so... Um, Two weeks out from the race, I was doing pretty much my last really key session when uh, uh, I had a really painful step. Like, you know, I was running along, no worries, and then just one step, my foot just just pain shot through it and kind of broke, broke down a little bit, and I was like, oh, I'm in a bit of trouble here, and kind of tried to stretch it out a little bit, and uh, eventually I, I could jog jog a bit so I jogged around to to where the physio was and told him what had happened and got a bit of treatment on it and jogged around a little bit more and and eventually I I pulled the pin on the pulled the pin on the run and um you know I thought oh it might just be some kind of tendon issue because I'd I'd had some kind of pain in that foot for four years at that point but certainly nothing like um what I felt on this day so I, I kind of hoped that it would just it'd come good in by the next day or the day after that, and I'd be fine. But whatever happened in this step was just something, something different, and um, really derailed my my world champs campaign. And then afterwards. Mm, mm. So tell us, you um. So how many days or weeks was this before before the race in London? Uh, I think it was maybe sixteen days out. Sixteen days uh, out, right? Yeah. And so. I, kept training um as as well as i could um in some level of pain uh for the next seven or eight days with you know talking to the physio and giving him a bit of an idea how it was traveling and and then we eventually got a scan uh the monday leading into the race so about six days out and that's when we found out that it was a fracture and that um i was in a bit of trouble Mm -hmm. of the talus is that correct yeah, yeah, the tailless bone. Mm. So um, not a common one in distance runners, but yeah. not a good one either. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Definitely not, mate. Not six days before you're, you know, your debut in the World Marathon Championships. How, how, I mean, I don't I can't even imagine dealing with that. How, how, how did you try to deal with that? And what was, what was your thought process? Um, I believe they probably would have said maybe you shouldn't be running and you probably said, no, I'll be running. So tell us really. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really, really tough patch. Um stressfully because it consumed all of my thoughts leading into the race uh you know i wanted to i was in 
great shape. I was in career best shape, ready to go and put myself on the world stage. And then I was just, you know, constantly like, what ifs? Is it going to get through? Am I going to make it to the start? Am I going to do this? Um, I got advice from the team doctors to that I shouldn't run. Mm. Uh, but then, you know, the, it was my decision because that there was no one waiting um, as a reserve or anything like that. So I wasn't taking anyone's spot. And it was a no-brainer for me that, um, you know, with with the fact that there are no guarantees in running, um, the fact I was at a World Championships after training my butt off for, for 17 years, I guess, to, to make this moment, I was at least going to see what I had on the day. And, um, you know, so then I can at least know what happened. Um, yeah, for sure. And, you know, rather than wondering, oh, what if I ran or what if I did this differently? Oh, and then not being not representing Australia at that level. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, definitely. I think most of us would get out there and, and see what happens and you sort of you sort of, sort of hope and um, that something, you know, incredible will happen and, and you could run through it. But I think you've got, to, you've got to at least run and find out rather than, like you said, sit there and wonder what might have happened. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, if it was something that I'd done before, then, you know, there's probably no question you pull mm. the pin, but it's, it's something that you don't know if you're going to get that, that chance to do again and, um, yeah, I'm I'm happy with the decision that I made, and even leading into the race, I was able to I was able to train, and um, my my foot would actually get better as some runs went on, which was a positive sign. But um, unfortunately, in the race itself, it got to a point where a marathon's not a short race, and it came mm. back. Was it was it like when you were trying to continue to run on it, um, leading into the race? Was it swelling, or was it just pain? Nah, there was no swelling. It was okay. just just pain um, and it was a different pain to that um, little bit of pain that I said that I had felt for several years beforehand it was mm-hmm. just different I didn't know how I didn't know how to run on it I didn't know what it responded to and so I didn't really know um, what was best uh, and what I should be doing and I found that really difficult with something that I'd managed really well for for four years I thought yeah yeah so so that pain you've been feeling for for the years leading into it that's that's directly linked to to the fracture like um obviously something was loading up that area and then eventually it was just like the the straw on the camel's back type thing or yeah you know there there are theories and that that sounds as good as as good as any um my initial thoughts on it were um it was the kind of thing that after five or ten minutes into a run it would warm up and would not cause me a single problem so you know that led me to just think oh yeah it must just be a chronic tendon problem no worries we can we can manage this um, because you can always warm up in a run. Um, you'd, you'd finish every run feeling a million bucks, but then obviously there was some underlying problem there that um, eventually eventually got the better of me and um, just maybe two weeks too early. Okay, yeah, right, yeah. How far into the marathon did you get? Uh, I pulled out at the 28-kilometre mark. We were, we were running a 10-kilometre circuit around London and I'd... Um, I'd done the first two laps, and by the end of the second lap, it was becoming pretty, pretty painful. And into the third lap, I was really slowing and couldn't put any pressure through the foot. And I knew it was time to pull the pin. I I knew that if I tried to complete the marathon, it would, you know, I knew how long it would take. I, there were no what ifs then, so I just kept pushing along. I saw my friends and one more time, and then I finished when I got to my sister at the 28k mark and. Hopped on the motorbike. Mm, yeah, 
That would have been hard to take. Very hard, mate. Um, did yeah. You, how did you, um, was it just, did it need rest or did you have to have surgery afterwards or what was the rehab on it? Yeah, initially they, they hoped that rest would, um, it would come good with rest. So I was in a moon boot for, uh, must have been close to 12 weeks. And then I got some follow-up scans later on in the year. So the worlds were in August. Got some follow-up scans around November and it wasn't healing at all. So that's when uh, we went and chatted to the surgeon and he recommended that we, we go in for some surgery. So I um, had the surgery in January 2018 and then um, the rehab process from there was relatively lengthy. Uh, I think I took my first, first running steps uh, late June 2018 and then since then have been you know very slow steps back yeah sure so that'll be a good segue into um into what i sort of was uh, alluding to in the intro that um over the weekend you you competed in the um in the tour of tasmania down there as a cyclist so the transition into cycling was that sort of something that um you did as far as rehab and maintain sort of fitness um or is that sort of something that you sort of were more involved in before running or or how did that all come about and how did you end up basically being at the elite level in, in cycling at the moment yeah so i've never had a participation interest in cycling but i've, I've always had a few um relatively close mates that have been good cyclists so um not richie Pollard. initially oh, i wasn't wasn't mates with richie but i have done a few rides with richie um yeah since I've been on the bike but um no it started off I was just just cross training I was on a on a cheap mountain bike in in running clothes getting out putting a few hours in on the bike and kind of progressed from there so um this was in 2018 I, I found that I enjoyed being on the bike much more than uh, pool running and that kind of thing uh it, it progressed to the point where um towards the end of last year I uh one of my mates that's a really good cyclist asked me to come out on a ride with him and he sorted me out with like a bit of bike positioning and some some pedals and and then eventually that led to me buying a proper bike um, rather than just the the old kind of commuter um, from about 20 years ago yep sure uh, which that was that was funny all the elite cyclists seeing me out on that and keeping up on that for a little bit of time it was mm probably had a good training effect in hindsight sure. um but then i think it would have been exactly this time last year i purchased a road bike uh and then i think my first race on the bike would have been february or march and then kind of progressed to the point where i kept improving and uh, got the opportunity to as you said race the tour of tasmania uh, last week which was my first national road series event and uh through some some good contacts, I actually raced uh, in Indonesia at a UCI event um, a month ago, which was um, another pretty cool experience and uh, and something that I think I was pretty grateful for for the team um, of VeloFit for giving me the opportunity to do that with not much uh, prior experience in big races. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, how do you, how do you find um, like the racing? On I spent ten years racing bikes um, before running and. I sort of miss, I miss the the cycling and, and the racing uh, for for just that cat and mouse game and uh, 
it's a thinking game and it's 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 different to running and running is um i mean you're competing against other people but it's really just you and uh you and your effort and the distance but cycling there's a lot more going on game of chess in the mind yeah. so yeah, how do you find that it, it takes a while to sort of figure out what's going on in the first place because um you're still yeah. building your fitness and you're just trying to hang on but then eventually you start to think about what's going on how, how are you finding that yeah, I've, I found a couple of different levels of that. At the at the local level, it's pretty, um, you know, it's, it's pretty predictable. Uh, like a lot of the the goal in the local races is to work together to try and catch um, the front markers because a lot of the races are handicapped. Mm. Uh, so I found that I've got really good at doing that, and um, I'm a climber, so I never feature in the sprint finishes. I've, you know, sometimes I try and get myself amongst the sprint, but other times I kind of just help some of the boys out and try and get us get us there in the position to, to win. So I've really found that I'm comfortable in that scene now, yep. um, whereas the, the two big races that I've now done, so in Indonesia and the Tour of Tassie, um, I've certainly been shown um, to have a, a big weakness in that kind of situation. The, the whole positioning in the bunch is so important, and coincidentally, we... We copped the worst week of wind that I've ever had on the bike last week in the Tour of Taz, which, um, which as you can imagine, proved chaos in the crosswinds. Um, you know, I've been watching cycling all my life, and you know, you know, you have to be in a good position, otherwise you're going to find yourself in trouble. But to actually do it is a whole different thing, and I really, I really struggled with that, and I, I've got a lot of work to do um, if I want to be successful on the bike because um as i found last week having some decent power numbers is it's all well and good but if you're not tactically astute then it means nothing if you get to the climb 10 minutes behind yeah yeah no right on mate right on so i, I saw in strava the very next day after the uh after the cycling tour it ended you you went out and uh part of the uh it's part of the launceston cycling festival you ran a 5k yeah, uh, in in 1558, mate. So the muscle memory is definitely still there. So, I mean, you're still moving pretty pretty well as a runner, but now you've got this um this love of cycling as well. So what what's the what's the move forward from here? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, mate. And I'm not a hundred percent sure what the future looks like. I am. Um, I always decided leading into this week that I'd I'd do the running race on the Sunday instead of the Criterium. Um, one, because, you know, I still love running and I want to get myself out there. And then two, because, you know, five days on the bike and a criterium is probably um, not something that's going to suit me. So I thought that was a good idea to to mix the week up um, to finish with the running race. And I ran okay, 3.08 per K average, which is, that's about where I'm at at the moment. And that's about what I expected. So I'm running pretty well off the running that I'm doing, but... Um, that is that, last is that pain free? You're not you're not feeling any discomfort um, from that injury? Uh, not in not in the race, no. Post race, sometimes a little bit, but like generally okay. But I'd yeah. certainly I'd c- certainly know about it um, if I do too much, and my foot tells me yeah. if I've done a little bit much running, um, you know, I get a, a little bit of pain sometimes. So it's not like it just springs up on me that it's that it's bad again i kind of get the the feeling okay you, you, you're starting to push the limit here you can't really yep. do much more for now um so that's where my running's at and to, to find that last five or ten percent of running speed that i used to have you just need to be able to do more running mate mm. um it's, it's as simple as that so 
I'm pretty happy with where I'm at um, for the limited running I'm doing. My plan going forward, though, I want to, through to the end of April, I'm going to try and do all the cycling races that I can. I um, plan to do the Oceana Championships in March and a couple of other races. I want to see how that goes because I know in that time period I'm not going to be able to run uh, to where I used to be. So kind of by then I think I'll have a bit of a an idea of where I sit in cycling and whether I'm enjoying these, these big events and, and that kind of thing. Um, I'm heading on an overseas holiday with my girlfriend after that, so I won't take the bike. I'll just run for a bit of fitness there. And then when I come back, I guess the, the world's my oyster, will I? Will I choose to try and go back to running? Will I choose to cycle? Will I choose to do some duathlons? Will I do a combination? Mm. Um, at the moment, at the moment, I'm really not sure what it's going to look like, but um, it's going to be one of those things, I reckon, or a combination of, of a few. Mm. And, and possibly uh, the body will tell you rather than your mind. You know what I mean? You might you might find that uh, you're limited to what, what you can do with, with your running. And let's hope not, but... But maybe yeah. that could be the decision. I, I can't I can't get back to that, so let's focus on the bike. That, that may or may not yeah, happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. And then, um, you know, it might be a case of that one um, one finds my love and what I really enjoy, and I might have to let go of the the elite performance side of things. I think if I do choose running going forward, it's always going to have to include cycling as cross training. Yeah. Um, yeah. Certainly not the the amount of kilometers i'm riding right now but you know it might be a case of and i really would love this to be the case that i get to the point where i can run um like a, a moderate mileage with some some good intensity that's consistent um that allows me to run really fast with some cross training on the bike that um gets me back to where i um, think i could be because i still think that running wise I, i've got some some improvement to do um and i've seen a lot of people run faster than me since i haven't been at that level and i think i can still do some damage to some of those times um if given the chance yeah for sure um and the other thing you got to possibly try to improve on is your uh, is your beer mile mate i just want to <laughs> finish up on that mate because i really over there in austin texas world championships you actually raced i believe yep were yeah. you were you the national champion at some stage or yeah so yeah i'll run you through through that i i was the world record holder in 2012 2013 um and then the world championships kind of become a thing just after that so now i've i've went to i went to san francisco in 2015 had a poor performance uh then i went to texas in 2016 where i think i came fifth Mm. Um, which was reasonable uh, on the Australian record holder, which I uh, broke in late 2016 again, which is my current best of four minutes 51. I don't think I'll be beating that anytime soon. Mm. And then um, for a bit of fun, I went over with the crew to Vancouver last year, and that was literally the first continuous one mile that I did post-injury. So I jogged around there in about maybe just under seven minutes, had a bit of fun and um, saw some good friends. And then I took it pretty seriously this year in Berlin where I finished eighth. Okay. Um, yeah, and 
you know, eight's pretty good off the running that I can do because I, I found it really difficult being unfit. Like, I, it just it made me breathe so much heavier, which really, really hurt me. But, I, you know, that that's something that I, I think I'll still keep going to, and especially while I'm not running the best I ever have. It's a it's a great crew of guys and some lifelong friendships. So. Oh, for sure. No, if you're bald. So um, what sort of times are you doing per lap to, in those miles? Uh, so a PB running, you're running close to 60s, like maybe yeah, 64s. Right. Wow. 64s thereabouts, um, yeah. like, you know, six or seven seconds per drink. Yeah. But right. um, the world yeah. record holder, he's phenomenal. There's no one that's beating him anytime soon. He's an, another level, which is which is kind of, in a way, the rest of us just have fun with it now. So when we go to these things, we just have fun and um, enjoy ourselves for the most part because we know we're battling for second. Yeah. So what country is the world champ from? Uh, he's a Canadian. Okay. Yeah. What's he pushing yeah, out, a, like 56, 58s, or is he just drinking the beer quicker, or how's he getting the way? Uh, he's like a 356 miler, so he's um yeah, right, he's okay. on the real elite side of things. And not just is he a 356 guy, he can do that in a beer mile as well. Like he runs those same splits and wow, okay. does it when he drinks the beer. So that's, that's impressive in itself. He's <laughs> a great guy too. He doesn't even does train for it or anything he's just a really humble nice guy that focuses on his running and he just happens to have this skill as well yeah yeah okay we've actually got our annual uh beer mile up here um in canberra on this friday night um oh nice yeah yeah a couple of a couple of the lads who uh normally win it are either broken down or one of them's <laughs> actually moved down your way to tasmania so uh the book is oh yes of... i met him actually yeah yeah brad hathario Yep, yeah, he. I okay. met him at Park Run a while ago, and he did mention the beer mile. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, no, you catch up, Brad. He's, he's a great bloke, and he's good pace to go running with. Um, yeah, yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's down there, and um, lucky him. And um, yeah, Sam Burridge, who's a he's a trial trial runner. He, he took out UTA fifty a couple of years ago. He's uh, he's won the last couple of years, but he's got a calf strain. But I, I've seen him on Strava, so I reckon he's trying to trying to pull up fit for it. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, that'll, be good. Oh, that'll be good mate are you, are you still sponsored with brooks yeah yep brooks are still helping me out which is which is fantastic they're you know they've stuck by me through the through the tough patches which is which is really fantastic and yeah. I, I appreciate their support and um i'm hoping that um at some point soon we might see a a new shoe which would um, that might have some impacts on my marathon and going forward as well, which would be nice. Yeah, that, that's why I brought it up because, I um, mean, you know, um, as a runner, as a consumer of shoes, I love my shoes. Um, what Nike have done, I, I believe, is sort of um, accelerated the, the technology and raised the bar for all the other shoe companies with this, um, you know, with, with the technology in the foam and, and the carbon plates and and um, all the other shoe companies, yeah, are bringing out some incredible shoes uh, in the new year. Um, and I'm sure yep. Brooks, Brooks. Will, I mean, like all the other running companies, they pretty much have to uh, compete with um, with all, with with Nike and, and everybody else. But yeah, as a runner, I'm sort of, you know, sort of really frothing about all these new shoes that are coming out um, because you know I've I've tried a couple of the ones that are already on the market and and they do feel really good, responsive. But what I love about them is um, you seem to pull up from the session so much better. They don't seem to beat your legs up as much. So. That's what I love about it, not only the speed, but just how quickly you seem to recover, just because the foam seems to be absorbing a bit more of that road, road impact, yeah. Yeah, so I've, I've heard that, which for me, with, with the injury that I've had, would just be um, 
absolutely essential and mm. um, that would that would be fantastic obviously since the injury I haven't had to to worry too much about um, any potential disadvantages because um, I'm not running any marathons um, in the last couple of years but mm. as I said before I've, I've seen a lot of guys um, run quite a bit faster than me for the marathon even other distances yeah. in the last years and you can't help but wonder no um, there, there, there is yeah, like, there, there, what might something... might be with like with a pair of them. Yeah. Yeah. No. Look. Um. They will improve. I, I think. Um. I, I hate to say that all my PBs have come since I've had um <laughs> the, the new shoes on. Um. So I'm gonna have to go back with the old shoes and, and try to match those times. But yeah. <laughs> but no. I think for you. I, I think. I think you're on the ball. I think it's gonna help help with that foot because um. There's no doubt about it. There's guys who would never even think of not wearing um spikes on the track and they're wearing wearing these type of shoes just because um yeah. how quickly they're recovering and how how well the pins are pulling up the next day and um and that was the whole idea about it was towards the end of the marathon when the legs get a bit beaten up um you're able to you know sort of maintain your pace and the muscles aren't having to absorb so much that road shock so it's definitely working mate so yeah be excited yeah. about it and i'm sure brooks yeah, will think... brooks will match like everyone else is doing yeah i think it's for sure i think it seems to have taken out a little bit of that um, you know, back back a few years ago, the last 10k of the marathon maybe came down a little bit more to to how conditioned your body was um, from the training that you've done. Whereas yep. I feel like a few people, not everyone, but a few people certainly have got some advantage um, economically in that last part because their legs aren't as beaten up, um, which has certainly helped them finish the marathon off. That's for sure. So. Yeah, looking forward to that, and um, yeah, can't wait to get my hands on a pair of the Brooks model. Yeah, 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 for sure, mate, for sure. Um, look, before we finish up, you sort of um, touched on um, on where you want to continue to go, and a lot of it's the big question mark. But um, you know, if uh, if Josh Harris could sort of look back at the IWF profile in, in years to come, what's, what what sort of um, records would you like to see next to your name? What sort of times would you like to see there, if you could, in the perfect world? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. Um, you know, worst worst case, I'm satisfied with with what I've done. So, like, worst case right now, I look at it and I think, you know, that's that's okay. But um, I think I think I could potentially see something more like a two fourteen uh, for the marathon. Uh, let me just think. I always think that had everything went really right i could have been right on the fringe of sub 14 and sub 29 Um, both both of those i think would be barriers that given the right race and in the right form that um, i could give a bit of a push so yeah like a 13.59 and a 28.59 for the 5 and 10k that would that would really um leave me very happy yeah yeah, uh and then that's I'm not too fast as I said at the start the 800 that's not changing I'm happy for that to be 154 forever um, but and yeah like the others the others are what they are I could probably get a few seconds out of myself but I'm not too worried about those yeah yeah no it's a good read I like those numbers mate um thanks heaps for giving us your time tonight uh, being a guest on the running guide podcast um, all the best on the rehab Um Sort of all looking forward to uh, watch the continuation of your running story and um, and see where the cycling cycling goes. 
um, sounds like you're pretty positive and uh, as always and um, you know sort of really um, yeah really happy with with what, what you feel is ahead of you um, I think there's some exciting chapters to read in in the Josh um, Josh Harris story in the years to come um, if I can put some of your social links um, in the show details below um, I'll chat to you um, chat to you soon about what you'd like me to put up there um, just so yeah, the listeners sure. can uh, sort of follow along. You all cool with yep. that? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Cheers. All right. Look, thanks so much, Josh. And, um, yeah, like I said, all the best, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks for the time. No worries, Josh. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the Running Guide podcast again. Follow along if you haven't already, please. Check out the links in the show description below. And I keep forgetting to kindly ask for some iTunes ratings and reviews. Uh, Apple Podcasts is a very popular platform among listeners, so it helps to sort of increase my visibility so other runners can locate and listen. That's it for now. Uh, I won't wish you a Merry Christmas at this stage because I'll um, try to get another pod out before the 25th. So uh, train smart, sleep long. See ya. See ya.